because he said, I want this church to live and prosper and be established. That's what I want. I'm not interested in destroying churches. I want this church to be a praise in the earth. And I'm not going to do something that's going to destroy it. Just like you wouldn't have, hand your seven-year-old child the keys to your Corvette, if you had one, or your keys to anything. You're not going to do it. As much as you'd like to put them out on that lawnmower at seven years old, that's probably not a wise thing to do. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like God was saying it to me, and He was saying, I want to establish some things in your life. And I think this is one of the things that God wants to do. He wants to establish a footing for us to be able to stand on. And no matter what comes our way, whether it be God, whether it be blessings, or whether it be adversary, we're still standing when it's over with. Because you can do this. This is the honest truth. You can build on a move of God. And I'm not going to get her to stand on this, but I can get her to stand on this. And when the move of God's over with and knocks it out, you're going to go down. You can't build your life, you can't build a church on a move of God. You can't do it. It's not scriptural. It's not the way God does things. Now, you certainly need to take the move of God and use it. You can't build on people. People die. What are you going to do if you build everything on this one person and they die? You can't build, you know, they may leave. They're going to get mad at you about something, and some people just get mad and leave. You see what I'm saying? And on a personal level, it applies the same way. We've got to build our, our lives on something that's going to be there season in and season out. Season in and season out. When God's moving, it's wonderful. We have all this momentum. Let's take it and run with it, God. But when He stops, we're still there. We're still solid. You hear what I'm saying to you? That's what God wants. God knows how crazy I am. You know, He could come in a certain way. God would come and move. I'd throw everything out for it. I mean, that's just the way I feel. I mean, because I'm wanting to see God move. I'm passionate about it. But He wants us to have a little bit of wisdom. And I think this is part of it. Um, are y'all with me? Okay, Job 1, 8 through 12. And I'm not just talking about church here. Believe me, I mean, guys, most of you don't even, you know, just come to church on Sunday. You need something to get you through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And when you get home at lunch today and everybody's acting like a bunch of maniacs at home, you need that. Then the Lord said to Satan. Everybody got that? Then the Lord said to Satan. Now, let me tell you a little hint. Recently, the Lord told me, I want you to quit reading the Bible the way you've been reading it. Okay? I want you to stop reading it. Because, see, I know what... I know the outcome of this story. I, then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered myself good that there's a male like on the earth and blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? I mean, you know, just reading through. And the Lord said, If you will stop reading the Bible like that, because you already know the outcome, you've read some of these stories over, and if you'll just start reading it word by word, sentence by sentence, you're going to find some new revelation. You hear what I'm saying to you? Just start reading it like that. I was reading about the wedding at Cana the other day and uh, the miracle, you know, oh, yeah, I know what happened. They got water and Jesus turned it into wine, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then all of a sudden, I quit. I, I, that's when the Lord spoke to me. Don't read it like that. Then he started talking to me in that story, like stuff I've never seen before. I never knew that was there. I never thought about it like that. So I want you, I'm just passing on a little hint to you on your Bible reading. Quit assuming, quit presuming, quit acting like you know everything. Just because you know the end of the story don't mean you know what happened, what God's got to say in the middle. 
But this is interesting. Then the Lord said to Satan, I want you to hold that, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord. That's pretty good, isn't it? And instead of having a conversation, you know, God and Satan, that's what this is, and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. And I would like to just say, I believe that's what God wants to do for every Christian. Exactly what Satan was accusing God of doing for Job, is he wants to put a hedge around us. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. I'm serious. He wants you to be a very prosperous human being. But he wants to start inside of you. You hear, you hear me? It ain't your bank account he wants to start with. It's your peace. It's your joy. It's your grace inside you. That's where real prosperity starts. You hear me? That's where God wants to start with you. So if, you want, if you're asking God to prosper you financially, maybe what you need to do is take a step back. You've sort of jumped a few steps ahead. And I believe God does want to bless us financially. But what good is it going to be blessed to be, to be blessed financially to have a, a $50,000 in the bank and the banking system collapse? You hear what I'm saying to you? What good is that going to be to be blessed? Like you got $50,000, not even worth the paper that was the money's written. And it could happen. It happens in other nations. Don't think it couldn't happen here. We need to be blessed on the inside first. And then let God bless us on the outside. Now, I believe that's really the truth, but this is not really what I wanted to share with you. But I think that's what, something we need to go after. We need to go after God's blessing. We need to go after that hedge. But it needs to be an internal thing. Okay, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said, Behold, all that he has is in your power. So you see what's happening here. Only do not lay a hand on his person. In other words, the Lord said, Everything Job has, you can have, you can do whatever you want to, but you cannot touch Job, his person, his flesh, his body. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Um, and then if you, if you really want to read on, we're not going to do that. You can read how you know, Job maintained his integrity, didn't curse the Lord, and the enemy, and the Lord allowed, and enemy went and spoke to God again, and God actually let the devil touch Job's flesh. And the rest of, the Bible, the rest of that book is about Job's conversations with his friends and with God over his predicament. But here's the first thing I want you to get. Number one. Be still and know God in spiritual warfare. Be still and know God in spiritual warfare. In other words, God controls the devil. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? God controls the devil. The devil cannot do just whatever he wants to do with your life. For the believer who's walking in the will of God. I'm going to put that rider on it. If you're an unbeliever and you are not walking in the will of God, I can't say that this really totally applies to you. It does to some level. But if you are sincerely trying to seek God and follow God, God controls Him. He cannot do whatever He wants to do to you whenever He wants to do, do it to you. And what we had to do is we had to learn how to trust God through the trials of our life. We've got to learn how to trust Him that He loves us and He sold out for us and He cares about us and that there's nothing happening in your life that doesn't come through the hands of God, that God doesn't look at and gives permission to you. It's the sovereignty of God. You got that? That God, be still and know God in spiritual warfare. I'm going to give you a scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation 
Everybody knows this one. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common demand. So if you've got a temptation going in your life this morning, and you think, oh, God, I can't do this. This is too much for me. It's a big, fat lie. You hear me? Because the Bible says there's nothing that's overcoming. It's not been common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted with what you're able. So if you are given in a temptation this morning, it's because you're choosing to. That's all. Because the Bible's clear that God will not put you in a situation that you can't bear, that He's not empowered you to overcome. Are you with me? So any kind of temptation you've given into, and the only reason you're doing it is because you've decided to do it. And that's the only reason, according to the Bible. He says, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I mean, we can bear temptation by the power of God. We do not have to give up. So you, you see what I'm saying? We've got to see God in spiritual warfare. We need to be still and see Him in spiritual warfare. Now, God will correct you. And God does use the devil to correct people. He uses the devil. He uses the devil for His disciplinary purposes of our life. In the Old Testament, it's the Lord talked about, talking about the nation of Israel. He said, Moab is my washpot, which was another nation that was the Moabites, which were enemies of Israel. And God was saying, I use, them, I use these people to wash Israel. Moab is my washpot. Well, God uses the devil to wash you. God uses the devil to deal with you. God uses the temptations. God uses difficult trials and circumstances in your life to deal with you, to perfect you, to enable you. But it all comes through His hands. And we've got to see that it comes through His hands. We've got to see the difficulties of life are filtered through God. You've got to see God in spiritual warfare. You've got to. You've got to see God when it comes to the devil. Here's a great scripture about David. Back in his early days when he got into the, you know, just had killed Goliath. Everybody was saying about David. Saul has killed his thousands. David his ten thousands. This is the best counsel you'll ever get, I think, of spiritual warfare from David. Saul wanted David up there in the house with him. The Bible says... The Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and the evil spirit got on Saul. That's what it said about him. So Saul has this evil spirit. Here's this man with this evil spirit on him. He's crazy. He got to trying to kill David, throwing spears at him, trying to murder him. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 14 and 15. It says, And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. David behaved wisely. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. In other words, when, when David was in the presence of Saul, he behaved wisely. And see, we need to learn how to behave wisely around the prince of darkness. We need to, we need to find out what is behaving wisely. Let me tell you this. This is just a personal experience about the demonic. Would you like to hear it? Some people don't believe in this stuff, but I believe in it. <laughs> you know, two or three months ago, I started having this oppression come against me. Okay? Demonic oppression. I knew it was demonic. And it was not like any kind of demonic stuff I'd ever experienced. See, we have demons that we're sort of used to. You know what I'm saying? We, there's these demons that are assigned to you, and they're going to mess with you. And you sort of under, you get where you understand these guys. You know what they're going to do before they even do it. You know, you know when you sit down and turn the TV on, he's going to start talking to you. You know, turn it to that channel. You know, don't linger there a minute. You know, it's not just your flesh. The devil wants to pull you down. 
Okay, so you can sort of get used. But these demons, and somehow I knew there was two of them. Okay? These were not like your normal demons. I'm thinking, man, these demons, these are some mean demons. These demons, you know, they I've never messed with demons like this before. They would, I mean, I can't tell you some of the stuff they were in my, it was all psychological. It was all just oppression on me. It was incredible. It was like, I literally, some days would feel like I'd been in the boxing ring with Mike Tyson. I would just be disoriented feeling. It's like somebody had just beat the fire out of me. And the Lord spoke to me. This is what He said. This is what God said to me. You probably may think I'm crazy at this, but it's the truth. He said, don't mess with those demons because they will kill you. Or they can kill you. Don't mess with them. That's what He said to me. So I shared that with you prayer warriors. You know, man, these demons are stomping my eye, and the Lord told me not to mess with them. In other words, don't you be bringing no riling accusations against these demons. I'll bind you in the name of Jesus, you blasted, you know, fool demon. And, God, you know, I was saying, God, please get these demons away from me. You bind them, Lord. I'm not messing with them. You said don't mess with them. I'm not binding. I'm not doing anything. I'm asking you, help God. And that's what I was saying to them. Because he said, don't mess with them. They'll kill you. They will kill you. These are powerful demons. Well, Tony Baker had a dream. Bless God, Tony Baker's heart. He had this dream, and he knew nothing about this. And this dream, a couple things happened. He came to see me, and I was out jogging. And he said I was jogging in the woods which Tony at the time didn't know I had changed my jogging trail to over in the woods. Okay, he didn't know about this. But I was jogging in the woods, and he saw me come running up, and he saw a man with me. He said the man looked like an older guy, probably in his early 60s, but he was big and he was real buff looking. And he just assumed this guy was my friend. And he said he got, we got within 10 yards of, of Tony because Tony wanted to talk to him, and he said this big buff in his 60s guy, 60-year-old buff guy, sort of grabbed me in a bear hug. Sort of, he thought playfully. Then he threw me about 50 yards into the woods. And Tony said he heard me hitting trees, busting into trees, and heard me down there in the woods groaning. <laughs> I've been groaning, man, I'm telling you. And he saw me and looked at my, my knee was busted open. And he could tell I had broken bones. And Tony looked at him, this guy, and said, What kind of friend is that? And the guy started laughing. Ha, 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 ha. I'm not his friend. I'm his enemy. And Tony, in the dream, fell on his face and started praying, you know, violently praying. He said it was the most intense dream he ever had in his life. Violently praying. And then he heard a mouse. And he looked up, and this big, buff, 60-something, and there ain't no 60-something-year-old guy going to whip my tail. I mean, I'm just going to tell you that right now. Some 60-something-year-old guy comes after me. He's not going to throw me through the woods like that. None that I know of. I'll put that on there. <laughs> you know? But that big old guy was reduced down to a mouse. He heard a little chirping, like a mouse. But then he looked up and he saw behind me another demon. This was the other one. And it was as big as a house. And you imagine what one that was just a big old buff 60-something-year-old guy would do to you. What one as big as a house would do to you. And I feel like God, you know... Because I was telling God, Lord, you know, these demons are for, you know, big, you know, people. Who's some big-time Christian that you know of? Billy Graham. That's how they do it. Those are demons for them because they are big-time. You know, they got, they ain't no for me. This ain't my demons, Lord. They ain't got the wrong guy. <laughs> you know? But I feel like God said, listen, nothing is happening to you. You just obey me and nothing's going to happen to you. 
nothing's going to happen to you. You might get thrown around a little bit. Nothing's going to happen to you. I'm, I'm convinced. Now, I know people don't believe this stuff when you tell them. I've told a couple of them, and they look at me like, man, you are messed up. But I'm convinced when Philip got in that accident, the enemy was trying to kill Philip. But God wouldn't let him. God's not going to let him. And, was, you know, the guy that hit him was a youth pastor. He was either going to get Philip or the other Philip. You know, it was in the car. So, but what I'm trying to tell, to tell you and say to you through all that is God is over the devil. And sometimes we need to, and just what Francine shared was perfect, is God used her prayers, just like God used Tony's prayers, to intercede for me. And, and you know, really, about the time he had that dream, is when I felt like there was something that it got broke off on me. I felt like I got, you know, some, some of this stuff got off on me. Even though I know there's a big, is a house demon behind me, you know, wanting to get me, but I, he can't get me. He cannot get me unless, the only way he can touch me is through God. You hear what I'm saying to you? If I will be, stay in obedience to God, if I will follow God, that we have to be still and know God in spiritual warfare. Are you with me? Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. That's New Testament. Okay? The devil is a defeated foe. That's New Testament. Okay? Agree with others when you pray. So, I mean, that doesn't mean you don't overbind. I just told the Lord, the Lord told me not to do that. Are y'all with me? This is important. This is important because there's demonic stuff everywhere, believe it or not. Job 32. Let's look over there for the second one. I spent all my time on the first, the introduction and the first point. <laughs> I'll hurry. Job 32. So Job gets in this mess. He's all got boils all over him. He's got a bad case of acne, you know, bad acne, boil, boil type acne, all over his body. The guy was, in fact, you know what it says? This is, this is something. His three friends came to him and sat there for a week and didn't say anything. That's how awful he looked. For a week they just were in shock. How could this happen to Job? Because it talks about Job was the man. He was the man. Job said when he spoke, he had the last word on everything. Princes would shut up when he showed up. People bowed to this man. He was the greatest man of his time. Everybody heard it. When Job said it, that's the law, man. That's God. That's the kind of man he was. And so here he was in this terrible mess, and his three friends sat there for seven days just staring at him. How could this happen to you, Job? And then they begin this dialogue where basically it went like this. Job, you have got to be in some kind of gross sin for God to let this happen to you. You've got to be. And Job's whole point was, no, I have not sinned. I'm innocent. And that's how the whole thing, they went back and forth, back and forth. You know, you've done something, God would never do this. And when you read some of that stuff, his friends say, you can't help but agree with it. Because in some ways they honored, their, their words are glorifying God. But the problem was it was just wrong counsel. Because I believe Je the Bible says he didn't do anything wrong up to that point. He really didn't. He had not sinned. Yet he was in this jam in his life, a jam allowed by God. That's what I always hated about the story. <laughs> but here's what happened. Job in the process, listen to this, Job in the process of defending his innocence, Begin to tell all that he had done. All that I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look on girls. 
I have taken care of the poor. I have blessed the widow. I have, I have, you know, he got, you know, a list of things. And then it says in verse 32, listen to this, verse 1, chapter 32, verse 1. So the three men ceased answering Job, finally. You got sort of tired of it, <laughs> that argument. Because he was righteous in his own eyes, then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzzite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because, listen to this, he justified himself rather than God. He ju Everybody say he justified himself. So here's what we've got to do now. I want you to get this. This is so important. Be still and know God in your justification. Okay? In fact, it says over in chapter 40, verse 8, the Lord said this to Job. This is what God said. Would you condemn me that you may be justified? God asked Job that question. Are you going to condemn me that you can ju be justified yourself? Here's self-justification. Everybody wants to justify themselves. If somebody says something bad at you, what do you want to do? You want to defend yourself. If somebody mistreats you, you want to Right. Isn't that the way we are? We want to justify ourselves. We want to justify our action. Well, I did this because... Right? I mean, aren't we all like that? Don't we all want to justify? But here's the thing about self-justification that I have learned. Self-justification, you know how uh, I think new housing starts in this economy is a, one of the leading indicators of how healthy the economy is in America, right? Is that right? And don't they, because, you know, when you build a house, you've got carpet and windows and light fixtures and, you know, wood and you've got workers. So it tells, it's a way for people who study the economy to determine is the economy healthy or unhealthy? If they ain't got a bunch of new houses getting started, then there's some, we have an unhealthy economy because people are not buying stuff and there's not money being spent. And people are not working and manufacturing of carpet is down and all these things. But this is the, this is the thing. It's like the needle on the gas gauge of our economy. Well, self-justification is just like that. It's the needle of your self-life. It is the needle of your self In other words, if you lose self-justification, guess what else you're going to lose? Self-doubt. Can you imagine losing self-doubt? Anybody in here got self-doubt in their life where they doubt themselves? Well, when you start losing self-justification, you, you, because you're going to lose low self-esteem. You're going to lose self-righteousness. Anybody else got any selves they want to lose? Just, just stick them in there because what's the common denominator? It's self. All self-justification is, is it's just an indicator of how much of self-life you've got really going. How much you want to defend yourself. And people do it all the time. I do it all the time. I have to catch myself. I don't need to explain all this. You know, why I did this, why I did that. They don't really care because they've already judged me. They've already determined I'm wrong. You, you see, when you try to justify yourself, they've already made their mind up. If, you, if you've done something wrong and you come to me and start trying to tell me why you did it, I've already made my mind up. You were wrong. I don't care why you did it. And that's the way we are. You don't have to justify yourself. And that's what Job was doing. It is a needle. We have to see God in our self-justification. Does that make sense? Is that clear to you? That we need to be still and let God justify us instead of us having to defend ourselves all the time of why we did this. Sometimes it's better, yeah, I screwed up. I don't know why. I guess I'm just stupid. Here's another one from David. 
this is great. David was the king. He was the man. Then he got into a mess with his son, Absalom. Remember that? Absalom did all this bad stuff. Basically kicked David out from being the king. David's on the run, leaving. One of David's old enemies, a guy named Shemai or something like that, he sees David and he said, man, this is my chance to get back at David. He starts cursing David and throwing rocks at him. You know, just blasting King David. David's got all his soldiers around, some of his top guys. And they said, you want us to get him? And he said, no, don't get him. Perhaps the Lord has told him to do this. Perhaps the Lord has told him. I don't need to defend myself. And then he went on and says, this is 2 Samuel 16, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. You see what I'm saying? Maybe the Lord will look on people accusing you wrong. Maybe the Lord will look on you for people saying things that are wrong about you. Maybe the Lord will justify you. Maybe the Lord will defend you. But if you defend yourself, you take it out of God's hands. And we really need to be still when that stuff comes in our life and find some rest in God and know God. Well, they've told me, you know, I cheated. They told me I've lied. They've told me I've done all these things. They said I said things I didn't really say. And the Lord's saying, that's okay, they did that to me. But you see, that's really your self-life trying to rise. Are y'all with me on this one? Because we've really got to stop doing that. If you really want to be still and know God, that is a practical way of doing it. Are y'all with me? Is this helping anybody? Because it's the truth. It's the truth. This is what life is about. So number one rule, for now on, you can't defend yourself to me. <laughs> Do you want a counseling? Don't come in with, tell me why you did all you did. I won't listen to you. I'm going to tell you this. Job did the same thing. Don't condemn this other person to justify yourself because that's what we really do. This is real Christianity, man. This is what it's all about. This is living it. This is what's going to help you know God. This is what's going to establish peace and life within you. I don't think y'all believe this. All right, number three, and then I'm finishing. Turn over to Job 42, verse 7. I'm going to read verse 7 and then verse 10. Because it's almost time to be finished. Verse 7, Job 42. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these... You know, the Lord got in on Job pretty hard. Started talking about whales. I guess, I don't know what kind of fish it was, but the Lord spent a whole chapter... (laughs) This is crazy... He spent a whole chapter talking to Job about this big old huge fish. Can you bind this fish? Can you make this fish serve you? You know, can you and your friends, you know, do all this stuff about this big old fish? And see, when you read this thing, you think, what in the world is wrong with God? I could have used something better than that on Job. But, you know, he's God. So it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to, uh, oh, Eli, whatever, has, the Tenemite, that's one of Job's friends. He said, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. In other words, I'm mad at you. Now, how would you like God to tell you he was mad at you? I'm just flat mad at you. One time there was a guy coming over to my house for counsel, and the Lord said, do not become the friends of Job to this man tonight. You do not do that to him. In other words, don't go start asking this person what all kind of sin they got in their life. You I'd be doing something wrong, or this wouldn't be happening, and... That's a lot of our counsel, actually. It's a lot of the counsel that goes on in the church. And God was mad about it. Because it says, For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. 
The Lord had spoken to Job. Job got it right with the Lord. You can read all the details. And now Job's friends, in verse 10, listen to this. This is Everybody knows this verse, but this is a good one. And the Lord restored, restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. In other words, the Lord told Job, you're gonna, you, go, you told these three bad guys, you go and get Job to pray for you. And then, you're gonna, and then I won't be mad at you no more. That would be bad, wouldn't it? You're a person you're really offended at. You gotta go humble yourself to them. The person that did, you know, did all this stuff, uh, said all these bad things about you. Here you are suffering, about to die, just beat to death. They've lied about you. They've accused you of things. They've misused you, and here you've got to pray for them. And the Lord's mad at them. And see, here's the point: you gotta be still and know God in human relations. Now, listen: when somebody does you wrong, you got power over them, right? Is that true? You've got a certain amount of power when somebody's done you wrong. You can forgive them or not forgive them. You can hold it over their head. You can cut them off or not cut them off. And see what was... Are y'all getting this? I'm telling you, this is important because this is what we do with each other. This is what we do with each other. Those Job's destiny hung in the balance that day. He could have said, I'm not praying for you. Daggone, man, y'all treated me like dirt. You said all this stuff about me, and now God's mad. You go work it out with the Lord. You know? Or, I'll talk to you later. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Do you got that? But it says, listen, it says, Job's, and the Lord restored Job's losses when or after he prayed for his friends. You see, Job's restoration didn't come until he dealt rightly with the people who were treating him wrongly. You got that? That's really, you've got to be still and know God in those situations. You've got to treat people who do you wrongly, you've got to treat them right. They were in trouble. Job could have took advantage of it. I mean, there's a lot of people here that don't do that right. I don't do it right. I'm plotting and planning. I'm going to get him. I had this one situation going where I was on the phone with this guy, and I had this guy, I had him nailed. He was nailed. He was wrong. And he knew he was nailed. And I heard this little thing is, don't do that. Do not do that. Don't nail him. You better start figure out how to get into a more of a blessing mode in this conversation. You better let him go. Let him off the hook. Free, you know, free him up. Turn over to 1 Peter 3 real quick. Let me read this to you. Everybody, who wants, in, who wants to inherit a blessing? Raise their hand. Then you have been dealt a death blow here. So far, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing God's sovereignty over the devil. Everybody got that? God's sovereignty over yourself. And now we're going to see God's sovereignty over your relationship with other people. God's sovereignty over other people. 